But let me just start off by the, uh, quoting the passage that Jerry just, uh, Mr. Edgar just mentioned from Psalm 139. I think you know this verse, or these, these verses, but listen to these words. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. So we clearly see God's care and concern for children in the womb that he's knitting together. Um, you, You may remember that we are almost, I think we're two days away from the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, uh, which was passed uh, half a century ago, and then was overturned on June 24th this past summer, which was just uh, truly one of the most incredible moments, uh, politically speaking, of my, uh, certainly of my lifetime. I think it is the greatest moment uh, of my lifetime in regards to those kinds of things. Uh, There's a lot of ways you could come at this issue, a lot of things you could say. my guess is, in a room like this, the vast majority of us would say that we are pro-life. That's my guess. So my, so my guess is the vast majority of us already agree that abortion is not something that is, that is good, is not right. But uh, So how, how exactly to approach this issue? I want to come at it maybe a little bit from an angle here. Um, my, my son, who was just up here for the lower school chapel, I believe, uh, he's six years old, Micah. And uh, if Micah walks up behind me, uh, just from the backyard or something, and says, Hey, Dad. Can I break this? I'm going to say, you know, the first question I'm going to ask is going to be what? What is it, right? Maybe, maybe not, right? It depends on what it is you're holding. Is it, if it's something very uh, valuable, no, you can't break it. Uh, but if it's just something uh, that doesn't matter, well, well, yeah, sure. If he comes up behind me, this could be even worse. Dad, can I kill this? You're like, oh, uh, what's about to happen? But the question you want to ask is, what is it? What are we talking about, right? That's, that's the question. And so when it comes to the issue of abortion, the question we've got to answer is, what is it that we're talking about? What is the status of the unborn? What, what, what are we dealing with here? Um, let me put it this way. I'm, I'm quoting another person here. Abortion, you've got to listen to the end of this quote. Abortion is a personal private matter that should not be restricted. Laws restricting abortion are unjust toward women. Pro-lifers should not impose their personal views on others, especially by law. Everyone uh, but the woman involved should stay out of the decision. You've heard those arguments? All those arguments would obviously be true if the unborn are not human beings. Right? If the unborn are not human beings, then of course, if a woman wants to have her tonsils removed, that's totally her choice. If she wants, if she has, you know, she wants to have her appendix removed, that's, that's her choice. But if what she's having removed in an abortion is another human being, well, then those arguments you just heard no longer apply in the same way, do they? It's a different kind of thing that we are talking about. So let me kind of mention a, a few things here as we get going. Uh, my guess is it, it is very possible in this room that someone might say, I am personally pro-life. I think that if I was involved in an abortion, that would be wrong. I guess most of us would say that. I'm personally pro-life, but you might, some might say, but I'm hesitant, I'm hesitant to criminalize abortion, to make it illegal from conception till birth. So some of you might say, I, I, I'm against it. I would never do it. It's not something I want to be a part of. But the idea of criminalizing it from conception till birth just makes me feel uncomfortable. I, I, maybe I don't quite know why. Or number two, you might say, I'm pro-life personally, but I am sympathetic 
for voting for very passionate pro-choice candidates. I'm personally pro-life. I'm not, I'm not for it. I don't support it. But I'm, I'm okay with voting for people who want to make it their goal to legislate Roe v. Wade into law. That, that's what they're about. That's what they're campaigning on. I don't see the problem because I agree with them on other issues that are also important. And this just doesn't seem like the make it or break it single issue that, that should be uh, of what we think about. And I'm not saying, by the way, it's the only issue that exists. But I want to compare it. Okay, let's just stop for a second. Since Roe v. Wade... Uh, was passed by the Supreme Court 50 years ago this weekend, uh, more than 63 million unborn children have been legally aborted or killed in our country. Okay, more than 63 million. Now, that's more than a million a year, right? So I want you to think about this for a second. Uh, the Nazis killed, at, at the largest estimate, about 10 million people in the Holocaust. 10 million, right? And you know what they said? They said, Jews aren't really human. They're subhuman, and we want the race to move on to a higher level, and so we're going to take those who are not really truly fully human, and we're going to get rid of them. Also, people with Down syndrome were killed in the Holocaust, and on and on, because they weren't fully human like the Aryan race that was supposedly superior. Now, we all know that that's wicked and evil and nasty and awful, but they said, this group over here is not fully human, therefore we can kill them. And they committed the Holocaust, which ended with about 10 million dead. Now, now I'm not trying to be dramatic. The situation is itself dramatic. Just, just hear me out here. In our civilized Western American society, and we pat ourselves on the back with being so civilized and so you know, ahead of the curve and so advanced, and in many ways we are, techno technologically, we, Americans, we as a nation, have committed six Holocausts in the last 50 years. If the unborn are truly human, we're talking about something that is absolutely unimaginable. And I, I really do think that I and all, probably all of us have grown somewhat numb to the issue because we don't actually see the unborn, right? When a Jewish person is being gassed in, a, in, in Auschwitz, you see that you can see the images of, the, of these dead bodies stacked up. It's horrific, it's awful. Uh, we, we can see it, we, we're disgusted by it. But the unborn are invisible to us. Right? When we see real racism taking place, like Jim Crow laws and segregation in the 1950s, and you see a water fountain that says white, and you see another water fountain that says colored over it in the 1950s. When you see that, we feel repulsed. We feel absolutely disgusted by it. When you see the back of an African slave that has been whipped to a bloody pulp, and you can see the scar tissue on the back of this African slave, that famous image that you can see online that was publicized and spread around the nation, our nation's conscience came alive a little bit to what the horror of Af the African slave trade was because we could see someone who had been brutally treated by their slave master unjustly. I think that one of the things that keeps us numb to the abortion issue is we often don't see, we don't see the unborn. They're, they're in the womb of the mother. We, we don't see them. And, and what would change if we could truly understand what we were doing? Now, well, imagine that there was a candidate that said, my platform, what I'm running on, is I want to bring back segregation laws, Jim Crow. I want to take us back to the 1950s, and I want to put racist laws back in, on, 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 the, on the board here in America. My guess is you would say, no matter how much you may agree with this person's education reform, or whatever you might think about how great their tax policy is, the very fact that they're running on the idea of bringing racist laws back into America, you would say, just by that alone, the moral indignity of that alone, I could never vote for that person. How could I vote for that person? I don't care what I agree with them on other things. If they are literally trying to bring racist laws back on the books, I cannot possibly vote for that person. Would you agree? But yet, let's be honest. When it comes to someone who says, I am running on abortion, 
My goal, if elected, is to bring Roe and codify it into law across our nation. That's what I'm running on. And you say, but I really love their education reform. I really love their tax policy. Yes, but you understand they're running on one of their fundamental tenets and their platform is to say, I want to make it easier to kill the unborn in our society. How could we possibly endorse that candidate with our vote if we understand the horror of what they're doing? Do you see what I'm getting at? If we've grown numb to what abortion is, we sometimes don't see it for the horror that it is. But when you compare it to other issues, we can start to see it, I think, more clearly. Here's another thing that you might struggle with. I understand the struggle. You might say, I'm personally pro-life, but I don't feel like it's right to force my religious views on society. You've probably heard that, right? I'm pro-life personally. Of course, I wouldn't do that myself. But to vote for pro-life legislation, to criminalize abortion, is enforcing my religious views on the society that I live in. Well, let me just start here. Doesn't every vote regarding abortion take your personal views and try to put it into legislation, whether you're for or against it? No matter how you vote on abortion, aren't you taking your personal views and trying to turn them into law, whether you allow it or don't? Yeah, so listen, there's no neutrality on this issue. You're either, you're either going to vote to allow or to not allow abortion, and it's going to come from your personal convictions. But let me, let me just say here, if someone wanted to pass a law that said, hey, we can kill toddlers up to two years old, right? It's the mother's choice, right? If she does, she's really annoyed at her toddler, she can kill the toddler at one year old, 18 months, it's fine. You would say, that's outrageous, you can't do that. And, and, and someone would say, well, don't bring your religious views in here. You'd say, I, I mean, it's not just religion. I'm about, so, so let me stop. What's the goal of government? The goal of government is not to make every sin a crime. I, I don't want to live in a world where, um, you know, if you don't go to church on Sunday, you go to jail. I'm not, I'm not saying make every sin a crime. I'm not, I'm not saying that, like, if you have idolatry in your heart, that you're going to face a prison sentence. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I'm, I, I, nowhere do I think that we're supposed to do that. But, but here's what I want to say. The government is not meant to make every sin into a crime, but the government has a very basic role in the Bible. It is to protect innocent life. Romans 13, the government doesn't bear the sword in vain. It avenges on the wrongdoer. In other words, God has instituted government when it is acting the right way to protect innocent life. Would you agree that's a fundamental part of what the government should be doing? Government doesn't always do it right. That's the goal. The government should be protecting uh, innocent life and enforcing basic justice for, for, you know, don't let people steal. Don't let people, uh, you know, murder, all those kinds of things. So here's the question. Are the unborn human beings? Because if they are, then government does have a role in protecting them. This is not about so much trying to make the world, you know, enforce my personal religious views about every sin becoming a crime. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the, the government's to protect life and the unborn are human and they deserve to be protected. Let me just quote here, and Dr. Butts would know far more about the scientific side of this, but I'm just going to quote a couple of these are secular science uh, textbooks about the moment of fertilization, right? Of sperm and egg meeting, and you have that zygote, the embryo, the, the new human being. Again, secular textbooks, here's kinds of things that you can read. Quote, Fertilization, just the moment sperm and egg uh, join together, fertilization is a critical landmark because a new genetically distinct human organism is thereby formed. The combining of 23 chromosomes present in each pronucleus results in 46 chromosomes in the zygote, thus the embryonic genome is formed. 
So you, scientifically, the moment of conception, you have a genetically new entity, a completely new, genetically new human life. With the, 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 DNA, the DNA immediately being formed there, you have a genetically new, scientifically new human being at the moment of conception. Here's another textbook. Quote, Almost all uh, animals uh, start their lives from a single cell. All, almost all higher animals start their lives from a single cell. The fertilized ovum, or zygote, it is called. The time of fertilization represents the starting point in the life history of the individual. So the fertilization moment represents the starting point in the history of the individual. So my guess is you'll be, you will be in conversations with pro-choice friends. When you go to college one day, you will have, I am sure, plenty of pro-choice people around you that you want to love and speak truth to. And I guarantee you, for at least most of you, this is going to come up in a casual conversation somewhere, some way. It might be with a relative at Thanksgiving, or it might be with a, a fellow student at college, or uh, you know, a cousin or somebody, a neighbor. I want, it's going to be hard to memorize these right now, but I want you to try to hold on to three sentences that help make our pro-life argument. Okay, you ready? These are the three statements that I think defend our view as, as pro-life uh, people. Number one, premise number one. It is wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. I hope whoever you're talking to will agree with that. It is wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. That's pretty easy, right? Premise number two. Abortion intentionally kills innocent human beings. So number one, it is wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. Premise two. Abortion intentionally kills innocent human beings. Conclusion. Therefore, abortion is morally wrong. Now, you, when you're in a discussion, hold on to that. Let me say it one more time so you get it in your head. It is wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. Abortion intentionally kills innocent human beings. Therefore, abortion is morally wrong. The only thing that makes the unborn different from us is something called, there's an acronym, SLED, S-L-E-D. Y'all may have heard this before. Let me give you the four things that, that differentiate the unborn from you and me. You ready? Number one, so SLED, S-L-E-D, S, size, L, level of development, E, environment, where they are located, and number four, degree of dependency. So, so listen to this. Size, the unborn, this may blow your mind, they are smaller than you and I, aren't they? They're, they're little teeny tiny little babies there in the womb. And you, you see them there. Um, if you, if you, you know, one day you're married, you get pregnant, you, you go see that first ultrasound, and you hear that heartbeat, and you see those little tiny arms and legs moving on the ultrasound. It is an emotionally overwhelming experience as a father or a mother. It is, it is an amazing thing. So are you telling me because this child is smaller than me, I have the right to kill it? No, because there are, my, my children are a lot smaller than I am. That doesn't give me the right to kill them, whether they're two or four or six years old. Number two, level of development. Listen, is a two-year-old less developed than you guys? Yes. Does that give you superiority over them that you have the right to kill them? No. Level of development does not give you more or less worth as a human being. Uh, that's not how this works. Otherwise, a 25-year-old is more developed than a 15-year-old. That doesn't make them more dignified or more human than a 15-year-old and on and on. Number three, environment. Is where the baby located determining whether it's a human being? 
You understand that there are babies who've been born prematurely, like way, way, way prematurely in the 20 whatever weeks, and those babies have survived and, and gone on to be fully healthy adults. So you're, you're telling me that whether the baby is in the womb or a few inches away outside the womb determines whether they're a person? That doesn't make sense. Where I'm located does not determine whether or not I'm human. Number four, degree of dependency. I mean, the baby is so dependent on the mother in the womb. I agree. But you know what? You know, my, uh, my daughter, uh, Maggie, who's about to turn two, is she pretty dependent on my wife right now? Yeah, and she's almost two years old, and she can do almost nothing on her own, right? I mean, if she was left alone for any amount of time, who knows what horrible thing would happen to her. So just because someone is dependent on someone else doesn't make them more or less human or more or less worthy of protection. If anything, if someone is dependent, they're all the more worthy of being protected in that sense. So I want to deal with a few what-ifs here. But before I get to that, I'm going to say something, and you may go, ooh, I don't like that. But... Let me give you what I think. Underneath all, people bring up like, what about rape and what about incest? And I'm going to talk about that in a second. But underneath that whole set of arguments, I do think, no one says this out loud in public, but I am convinced that the real argument for abortion is what I'm about to tell you. Not, ev not in every single case, but in the vast majority of cases, I think this is the real fundamental argument. Are you ready? And this may not sit well with everybody, but just tell me if I'm wrong about this. The vast majority of abortion is not about rape. It's not about incest. That's like 1% or so of abortions are in those circumstances, which are horrifying for the woman, obviously. The vast majority of abortions, you know, you know what it's about, right? In the 1960s, right before Roe v. Wade, was the sexual revolution. What was happening was guys would sleep with girls they were not married to. Girls would get pregnant. And the guy had the full freedom to walk away from the pregnancy with no strings attached, right? So the guy would be careless, sinful, selfish, irresponsible, sleeping around with various women, getting them pregnant. And the guy could just walk out the door and leave her with the baby. And the women's rights argument was essentially, I'm, I'm, I know I'm oversimplifying, this is the basic argument. If men have the right to walk away from sex and pregnancy, women should have the right, after having sex and gotten pregnant, to also walk away from the pregnancy. But the only way a, a pregnant woman can walk away from a pregnancy is through an abortion. And so I think the argument for so-called equal rights is really coming from the idea of sexual libertinism. The idea of I should be able to sleep with who I want to sleep with and not have to deal with the consequences. Now, I know that doesn't sit well with people, but I'm telling you, that is the, that's the engine that's driving the pro-choice movement underneath the surface. Underneath all the fine-sounding arguments, that is the fundamental issue. But... And by the way, this is, this is radical. Are you ready? I've got a way to solve that. Are you ready for this? This may blow your mind. What if, I'm not trying to get crazy here. What if a man, before sleeping with a woman, actually dated and married her? Now this is, I know, this is almost too much. It's a new idea I had this morning. I was thinking about it. And I thought, okay, what if they got married first? And what if they were in a lifelong covenant of commitment to each other no matter what? That would create stability. And then if they were physically intimate together and they got pregnant, well then, this is, again, this is new. They have a child and now there's a, there's a stable family for that child to be raised in. There's a, a loving, caring, present father and a loving, caring, present mother who can both bring their different gifts as mother and father to nurture that life and to raise that child up. I don't know, it's just a thought I had. It's just something I was thinking about. So, now let, let, me, let me get into the counter arguments that, that, uh, that are often uh, used here. 
So let me get technical for a second. And I'm not like an expert on this, but I've done some research. Let me mention a couple things. People sometimes say, what about, and then here's an example. What about, you may know this phrase, ectopic pregnancies. So from what I understand with an ectopic pregnancy, uh, and these do happen, they're not super common, but they, they definitely happen. Uh, you have the, the zygote, the conceived embryo, uh, it moves through the, through the fallopian tube and attaches to the uterine wall. But in this instance, when the, when the zygote is moving through the fallopian tube, it gets stuck. And it doesn't make it to the uterine wall, which is where the baby needs to be to develop in the womb. And so if the baby is stuck in the fallopian tube, this is what happens. It is a guarantee that if that baby continues to develop, guarantee, the baby is going to die. There's, there's no way to save that child. That, that we have yet with medical technology. There's no way yet. So that, ch that child is going to die. But secondly, it is very possible the mother could die. If there's a rupture that occurs, she could die from blood loss and other th horrible things. So people say, are you against e do doing a procedure to save the life of a mother in an ectopic pregnancy? And the answer is, I don't know anyone in the pro-life pro movement, uh, at least none of the major voices, who are opposed to doing a life-saving procedure with a woman in a tragic situation with an ectopic pregnancy. Now, let, let me try to be very clear with my wording here. I define abortion as the intentional killing of the unborn, the intentional killing. The, the goal of an abortion procedure is to kill the child, to get rid of the child, right? Now, let me be careful. In an ectopic pregnancy, the life-saving procedure will have the undesired but foreseen consequence of the baby not surviving. That is not an abortion. Because listen, the baby is not going to live either way. They're, they're, from what, at this point, we have no way to take that baby and re-implant the baby on the uterine wall. There is no way yet to do that. If, if, you, if one of you one day discovers how to do that, that would be amazing. But right now, we don't have the technology to do that. So the, the child is not, not going to live either way. And one way, the mother could die. And so the life-saving procedure is not an abortion. It is, a, it is an attempt to save the mother's life. But the foreseen but undesired consequence is that the child will not survive because the child won't survive either way. A couple other objections. What about in the case of rape? Listen, everyone has a unbelievable degree of just remorse and shock and empathy, sympathy for, for anyone who has gone through that. Not, not minimizing that at all. Here's, here's one quote. How should a civil society treat innocent human beings who remind us of a painful event? How should a civil society treat innocent human beings who remind us of a painful event? Is it okay to terminate their life? No. So I, I've said this before in chapel a year or two ago. I'm going to say it again. In the case of a tragic, horrible, awful situation of a pregnancy that comes from rape, which does occasionally happen, there are how many individual people involved? There are three. You have the father who is the criminal. You have the mother who is the victim. And who's the third party? You have the child that's been conceived as a result of this horrible crime. Now, let, let me ask you this. Who of the three is guilty of a horrible evil? The father. If any one of those three individuals is going to be killed, who should it be? Should it be the child? Did the child do something wrong to deserve to die? Did the mother do something wrong that deserves her to die? No. If anyone's going to face the penalty, it should be the father, not the child. Do you understand? So I'm not, I'm not advocating for the death penalty in the case of rape, although I'm happy to have a conversation about it. I'm simply saying, if someone is going to die out of the three of those individuals, it should not be the baby. It should not be the mother. If someone's going to die, it should definitely be the father who has committed that crime. Let me mention here, um, how about this? 
Now, this, this argument, I have to say, doesn't, doesn't do a lot for me, but maybe you've heard it. You're a man, like me, talking about this. What, what do you know about pregnancy? Well, I, I have to grant you, I, I don't know a lot about pregnancy from experience, okay? I, I'm not claiming that. Uh, but but let, let me just stop for a second. Now, there's all kinds of ways you could respond to this. One, one would be with the transgender movement. Are you sure I'm not a man? Are you sure I'm a man? Uh, I won't, won't go there. We won't go there right now. Because, you know, today, a biological man can become a woman, and so therefore, uh, men can speak into the issue because men can become women. Anyway, well, let's not go there right now. Let's not go there right now. Uh, let, let me come at this like this. Are you saying I cannot condemn things as evil unless I've been in some way participating in that event? Like, I, can I condemn slavery without ever having owned a slave or ever been involved in the slave trade? Yes. Can, can, can you... None of you, in the, none of you sitting here, none of you guys have children. Does that mean that you cannot condemn child abuse because you don't have a child? You don't know what it's like to be a parent. Children can be very irritating, and so it's okay. No, that's absurd. No, 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 no. Yeah, of course, you don't have to have children to condemn child abuse. You don't have to be married to condemn spousal abuse. And I don't have to be a biological woman to condemn the murder of the unborn. You understand how that uh, should work there? And if my wife were here, she would tell you, uh, having... Uh, we've had, we have three children alive now. We lost one in, in pregnancy, and I, I want to say one quick thing about that. I've mentioned it before as well. In, 2000, in the fall of 2019, right before COVID and everything, we were pregnant with our third. This is after Molly, so uh, pregnant with our third. And uh, we went to the first ultrasound, uh, and we saw the child. This is like eight weeks. Heard the heartbeat. Saw the arms and legs moving. Got a little picture of it. I was going to bring it today, but I got a little picture of the baby. At eight weeks, everything seemed fine. We went back for the ultrasound. Uh, we went back for the second ultrasound around uh, 11 or 12 weeks. This is December 2019, uh, and uh, there's no heartbeat at first. And the lady in the room, oh man, the, the lady in the room says she's got to go get somebody. My wife starts crying. I start crying. They come back in. They do another ultrasound. The baby has passed away in the womb. Now, now I'm telling you something. That baby died around 10 weeks in the womb. That's very early. A lot of abortions happen after that, okay? We saw the arms and legs. We heard the heartbeat. And I'm telling you, we grieved. We wept. We still grieve when we think too much about it, you know, at the loss of that child. Why? That child was not a clump of cells. It wasn't a pre-human thing. That child was, was my child. That was, my, my, that was our third child. And we believe, by God's grace, that child is in heaven today. We can talk about why I believe that at another time. But we, we believe that child's in heaven. And I went into the parking lot that day. My wife and I were in two separate cars. We had to go. I think I had to go maybe to school or somewhere. We had to go two separate ways. We, we wept in our car. We prayed together. And then I went and got in my car. And I had this little Bible. And I opened my Bible up to 2 Samuel 12. After David's son died, remember, after seven days, he fasted and prayed. The, the child died. And what does David say? An amazing sentence. He, the child who has died, he will not return to me, but I will go to him. David's not talking about somewhere on earth. He's talking about when David dies, David's going to heaven. And guess who he's going to meet when he gets there? He's going to meet that child. That child is going to be uh, with David uh, in heaven. Let me mention a couple other things. From the Bible. So now I'm just going to go straight up with what does Scripture say? I've told this to the seniors already, but uh, let me just repeat this. There's a Greek word in the New Testament that is used to describe John the Baptist in the womb. Do you remember John the Baptist in the womb? He leaps for joy when Mary comes in. Remember the Christmas story? John the Baptist is a six-month-old in the womb. 
Okay, this is three months before John the Baptist is born. And here's the word that Luke, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, chooses to use to describe that baby boy in the womb. It's the word brephos in Greek. Brephos. It means an infant, a small child. So John is twice in Luke 1, 41 and 44, he is called a brephos in the womb. Now here's the thing that blew my mind when I learned this. In the very next chapter of Luke, the Christmas story happens, and you read it over Christmas, I am sure. The angels tell the shepherds, go and find the, the, the Christ. He is going to be laying in the manger. This baby is going to be laying in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in the manger. You know what the word is, to des- the word baby, to describe Jesus in the, the manger in Luke 2.12 and 2.16? It's the same Greek word, brephos. You know what that tells you? God uses the same Greek word to describe a child, John, in the womb that he uses to describe Jesus outside the womb in the manger. You know why God uses the same word to describe a child in the womb and a child outside the womb? Because in God's eyes, they're both babies. They're both equal in dignity and personhood. And they're both equally worthy of protection. Now, got two more things here. One, I'm going to read you a crazy off-the-wall quote on the pro-choice side. This is from a woman named Mary Elizabeth Williams. She's a, she was at the time a senior writer for Salon, the online magazine Salon, and she's actually um, radically pro-choice. I want, she actually published this like for other people to read. So it wasn't like her private thought. This is what she put in an online article that's still on salonmagazine.com. So, so listen to this. It's just hard to believe that someone would print this. Quote, here's the complicated reality in which we live. All life is not equal. That's a difficult thing for liberals like me to talk about, lest we wind up looking like death panel loving, kill your grandma and your precious baby stormtroopers. Yet a fetus can be a human life without having the same rights as the woman in whose body it resides. She's the boss. Her life and what is right for her circumstances and her health should automatically trump the rights of the non-autonomous entity inside her, period, always, period. My belief that life begins at conception, she believes life begins at conception. My belief that life begins at conception is mine to cling to. And if you believe that life begins at birth or somewhere around the second trimester or when your kid finally goes off to college, that's a conversation we can have. Uh, One that I hope would be respectful and empathetic and fearless. If by some random fluke I learned that I was pregnant today, you bet I'd have an abortion. I'd have the world's greatest abortion. Now, that kind of thinking is no different than the thinking of the African slaveholder in the 1850s in terms of barbaric insanity. And yet, that's the kind of thing that our culture today is saying. And they're actually calling us the ones who are hateful. Right? We're the ones who are non-empathetic and non-caring. Now, let, let me just say here a word about this. Christians have been amazingly faithful at providing pregnancy centers, crisis pregnancy centers all over the place. There's one in Athens, the Athens, Athens Pregnancy Center. And uh, one, one person pointed out that, at least in Boston, there are three times more pregnancy centers than abortion clinics in the city of Boston. I mean... The church has done tremendous work in our country 
providing places where women can get free ultrasounds. They can get all kinds of help with diapers and all kinds of things when they need help. And these services are offered free to these women through volunteers and other kind of people who raise support and work uh, in, in different ways. And uh, we, we want to be those who, who are very supportive of empathy and care and compassion, but not a compassion that allows for the murder of the unborn. My last thought, i got a minute left, is the gospel is still available for men and women who've been involved in abortions. I know a woman personally who has shared with me her abortion story. She has since become a Christian. She regrets her abortion. She wants to help women who are pregnant, who are struggling, not commit that terrible choice and instead choose life and choose what is better, even if that means adoption. Adoption is a wonderful choice. I told you about my cousin. You saw my brother's uh, testimony at his wife's funeral a few months ago. I showed some of that in chapel. Well, when he and his wife, when when Liliana was still living, they adopted Michael, and Michael, his mother, was on cocaine during the pregnancy. And she gave him up for adoption. He had to get treatment to get off of that. And now he's this wonderful kid who, Lord willing, be at Westminster next year in the pre-K. So adoption is a wonderful option. But the gospel is available to forgive anyone of the sin of abortion. It is not the unforgivable sin. It is a sin that Christ died to make available full cleansing and forgiveness and restoration. And so uh, women who have had abortions, some of them have gone on to become Christians and are now involved in pro-life ministries to help uh, women and men who are struggling uh, in those difficult uh, situations. So don't forget the gospel is available. We should not speak with hatred or contempt in that way. We should always offer uh, the promise of, of grace. Yes, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I, I do ask, God, that you would give us clarity on this issue. It is so easy to become numb and callous because we don't see the unborn. When, when, when women and men walk into abortion clinics all over the place, uh, we, we don't see it. The operation happens in private under fluorescent lighting uh, with a doctor there. And we, 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 don't, we don't see the horror of what is going on very often. And God, I pray that you would awaken us to the true moral horror of abortion. That you would awaken us to care greatly for the unborn. They are not less human because they're in a different level of development or a different environment or, you know, a different stage uh, in their life. They are equally human as we are. And they deserve the same protection that we ourselves receive uh, in, in, from our government. And so, God, I pray that we would think with biblical convictions and that we would see that 63 million unborn babies is the great moral issue of our day. There is nothing else today that comes close to six holocausts in our country in the lifetime of my parents. So God, please give us biblical clarity on this. Help us to see how weighty this is. Help us also not to lose track of the gospel, but invite those who have been guilty of the sin of abortion to receive full forgiveness that only Christ makes available through the gospel. So I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.